Welcome to season two of the First Prez podcast. Last season was titled Gathered and Sent. It was all about our purpose and mission, being both gathered as the church to equip and encourage one another and sent to be the church in our neighborhoods, schools, and workplaces. This season, we're focusing on the five values that guide all of our decisions as a church. We believe that we are called to be disciple-making disciples of Jesus, who are biblically literate, spiritually formed, mission-focused, and gospel-fluent. So welcome to season two, Values and Direction. I told the earlier service that I was really afraid that what I was about, the sermon I was about to preach was going to ruin the great sermon that Beth just preached. Verdict's still out. I don't know. We'll see. But I've told you before, um, now that we're doing this on Wednesdays, it's changed all of our schedule. So normally, like, I kind of have the week to wrestle with things, and then on Friday, I'll write a bit, and then we do the sermon over the weekend. Um, But our schedule now, it's changed everything. So I'm like just kind of rushing through the first couple days, and I spend Wednesday writing. So in the morning on Wednesday, Beth gets an email from me that has to just be utter nonsense. Is that fair? <laughs> like, I mean, focused nonsense in a way. Like, it's just, just a ballpark idea of all the junk that's in my head before I start writing. Um, and out of that, uh, she came up with what she came up with today. So I'm trusting the Holy Spirit gave us both a very similar message um, that will... Uh, be encouraging and helpful for you as well. So for the past couple weeks, uh, we have been wrestling with the biblical idea of justice. And we've been listening to the prophets be very honest and tell us very straight, reminding us that God's people are called to do for others what God has done for them, what God has done for us. And so we've been looking at the biblical idea of justice and how it speaks to the situation that we find ourselves in right now here in America in 2020. So this week, we're going to shift back. We're going to go back to our series on values and direction as a church. But I think that we're going to find that these values, they only help to further our conversation about what it means to be the just people of God, a people who are called to love the world in response to God's love for us. Now, since Easter, we've been walking through these values uh, that we are called to be disciple, making disciples. And at some point, I hope that y'all can just recite this with us as easily as it's going to appear on your screen. We should all try to say it together. Ready? That we are disciple, making disciples who are biblically literate, spirit, do, do it a little faster so they can see it before I make them say it. Right. So let's start over. Start over. Go back. Go back. All right. Yeah. Let's give, let's give them a little help. Okay. So disciple, making disciples who are biblically literate spiritually formed, mission-focused, and gospel-fluent. Good job. Thanks, Noah. And that's where we find ourselves today. Finally, uh, we get to talk about this strange final value that we are calling gospel fluency. So I shared this with you back in February when we first introduced these ideas to the church, and I think it might be helpful to hear just a little bit of it again. Uh, The simplest way that I can think of to begin to explain the idea of gospel fluency is just to think about language. And I shared with you all that when I have the chance to go on mission trips to Latin America in particular, after a couple days, I can typically understand most of what people say to me. By the end of it, I can really understand almost everything I hear, but no matter how hard I try, I can never speak the language. I've taken the classes, I can understand what I hear, but I can't speak it myself. If I try, it's slow and awkward. I hate the way I sound when I speak Spanish. But the reason that I struggle with Spanish, it's because I don't think in Spanish. I think in English first, and then I do the processing, 
when I decide which word goes where, what replaces what. Someone who's fluent in a language, they think in that language. They understand the culture, the environment they're in. They can easily adapt to different dialects. They're not thrown by accent or someone who speaks faster than someone else because they think in that language and it's just second nature. So a gospel fluent person is someone who thinks gospel first. Not politics, not philosophy, not some other worldview. And a people who think gospel first become a people who not only know what to say and how to say it, but they learn how to communicate the gospel by the way they interact with others. They learn how to communicate the gospel without saying anything at all. They don't have to think about it. They don't have to translate. They just live. And as they do, the gospel pours out of them. So as a gospel-fluent people, we are called to do more than just speak the gospel. We are called to live it, to live into it, and to put it on display for the world. But if we're going to do that, we have to start by asking a really simple and basic question. Uh, What is it? (laughs) What is the gospel? And this is rhetorical, don't answer. But if I were to corner you, if I were to really put you on the spot and say, explain to me the gospel of Jesus Christ, what would you say? Would you know what to say? You may start, like most people, you might start by telling me about the death and resurrection of Jesus. But I want you to imagine this. Imagine that you had the opportunity to go tell somebody about Jesus, but that person had no biblical background. They had no concept of a creator God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit living in this trinity together. They had no understanding of sin or the brokenness of this world that the Bible describes. They think that they're just regular good people just making it through this world. And then you walk up to them and you say something like this. So 2,000 years ago, there was a Jewish man named Jesus, who, by the way, I believe is also God. And he was crucified on a Friday because you're a sinner every day. And then he was buried and then rose from the dead on Sunday so that you can do the same someday. And then he ascended into heaven and he's with God forever and you can be too. Okay, now, I'm not making fun of that. That is, of course, all true. But try to hear it from their perspective. Like in a vacuum without any background knowledge at all, y'all, that sounds crazy. (laughs) If somebody came up to you and told you that same thing but replaced the name Jesus with some other name, you would think they were crazy. Now, to Jesus, the gospel is 100% fully on display in his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. And that is good news for sinners. But the Bible tells us the gospel doesn't start there. So I want to read to you from Mark chapter 1. The final verse is what we're going to focus on today, but I want you to hear it in its context. Uh, Mark is speaking about John the Baptist first, and he writes this. And this was his message, again, speaking of John the Baptist. After me comes the one who is more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. 
At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days. Being tempted by Satan, he was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The Greek word euangelion is the word for good news, and it's the word that we get our word gospel. He went into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the gospel. This is the word of God, and thanks be to God for it. Let's pray. Father, we've heard uh, the beginning of this gospel read. Now we pray that it is proclaimed that it's received, that it strengthens us, empowers us, and equips us to be the people that you call us to be. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Okay, so now, if I put you on the spot, and if I ask you what is the gospel, what would you say? Would you still start with the death and resurrection of Jesus? You see, what we just read, Jesus himself in Mark chapter 1 proclaims the gospel. And that's about 15 chapters and three years before he will suffer and die. You see, the gospel according to Jesus is simple. It's the simple good news that in him, the kingdom of God has come near to us. Beth explained it well. Imagine it like this, and I'm not teaching interdimensional physics, so if there are any science teachers out there, give me a break. Um, But just imagine it this way. Uh, Jesus, we know, is fully God and fully human. So what that means is wherever he went, there was a spot on earth that was occupied by both the heavenly and the earthly realm. The separation between those two dimensions, whatever they are, was wiped away. As he traveled around Galilee, as he went across the sea into the Decapolis, as he made his way into Jerusalem, everywhere he went, this invading kingdom of God went with him. The colors of that kingdom followed him everywhere he went. And this is what we hear when Jesus teaches. Jesus taught, and then Mark 1 tells us that the people who listened to his teaching, it says they were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Now, that can seem like it's a swipe at the teachers of the law, but they knew all the stuff. They knew the stuff they needed to teach their religion, but Jesus didn't teach as someone who knew all the stuff, and he wasn't interested in teaching religion. He taught with an authority that was simply not of this earth. He didn't just know stuff. He was the place on earth where God's wisdom was fully accessible to us. When he taught, he taught, uh, honestly, crazy things like the last will be first, that we're supposed to love our enemies, that we're supposed to bless those who persecute us, that the path to real life is the path of suffering. Y'all, that teaching is not of this world. That teaching is nonsense in this world. Jesus' teaching is clearly evidence that some other kingdom had begun to invade ours. We see evidence of this invading kingdom in his miracles. When people were hungry and they found themselves in Jesus' presence, the kingdom of God invaded 
And through him, God provided for the needs of his people. When the blind encountered Jesus, when they found the kingdom of God, they were able to see. When the lame encountered the kingdom of God, they could walk. When a bleeding woman touched his robe, crawled through a crowd to just touch his robe, and she was healed. And the story tells us that he was even surprised because he felt that kingdom power leave him as it healed her. When the Gospels tell us about the daughter of a man named Jairus or Jesus' own friend Lazarus, the Gospels tell us that when the dead came face to face with the kingdom of God, they were restored to life. That authority and power wasn't earthly wisdom and it wasn't some kind of magic. It was the power of the kingdom of God invading into this broken reality, showing us what it looks like when God's kingdom comes and begins to make all things new. When that happens, needs are met. Hearing and sight are restored. The ability to walk, restored. Health and life, restored. When those things happen, people are now restored to community. They can practice their faith. Their life is radically and fundamentally changed. In the presence of the kingdom of God, our relationship with our creator is restored because we are being made new. It's from Revelation. Revelation 21, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And then he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. The cool thing about the book of Revelation is that it stands outside of time. That means that that verse isn't only speaking of a day that's coming, it's also speaking about a moment in time on earth that already happened 2,000 years ago. Because in Jesus, those words from Revelation have already come true in part. Now we are waiting for them to come true in full for everyone. You see, the gospel is about so much more than room and board and three square meals for the afterlife. <laughs> we are promised that we get a pretty sweet room. And I'm very hopeful that there's three meals a day. Like, I can't imagine heaven without getting to eat amazing food. The gospel restores us to our rightful place as God's image bearers, as children of the living God. And as we anticipate that day when everything is finally made new again, the gospel is restoring us, even here and now. So we have somewhat of a working definition of the gospel, a little larger view of the gospel. I want to look at another word. I want to look at the word righteousness. And it might seem like this is a tangent, but it's not. Because the idea of restoration is not only at the heart of the gospel, it's at the heart of the word righteousness. And if we are going to be a people who are gospel fluent, who are living this kingdom life, we have got to understand what righteousness really is. In the Greek, it's this word, dikaiosune. Uh, you find it all over, but in 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In Hebrew, it's sedekah. 
And we read this word in Amos 5 just a couple weeks ago. Let justice roll like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Both words. Neither word is a better way to say this. Neither word is about my holiness. Neither word is about my moral uprightness. The Bible is very clear on one thing. I am not holy. And I am not capable of achieving holiness on my own. So these two words, dikaiosune and sedeka, they are all about justice. They're about taking broken things in this world and making them new again. Making them right. They're about the restoration of all things, especially the restoration of our relationship with God and our relationships with one another. And that is the best way to understand the word righteousness, the best simple definition that I can think of. Righteousness in scripture means to be in the right relationship. It tells us that Jesus is our righteousness because in him, unholy beings now have access to a holy God. And he did that through his own holiness and through his obedience to the cross. The kingdom of God invaded this earth through him and now restores us in relationship to the God who made us, the God who first loved us, the God who calls and commands us now to love one another. This word righteousness was never about personal morality. It was never about personal holiness. And we know this because Jesus spent his time criticizing the religious people of his day because they were practicing a false moral righteousness. They had forgotten its true meaning. He says really difficult things to them like this, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, just a way of saying you worship according to the law, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law like justice and mercy and faithfulness. There's actually seven of these woes. These are just two of them. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And he says that to these religious people because they weren't really seeking holiness. They were practicing self-righteousness. They were going out of their way to prove to others and to prove to themselves just how good they were. Tim Keller was a pastor at Redeemer in New York City. I talk about him all the time. He says that self-righteousness like this, it's the very definition of sin. Because we are seeking to be rightly related not to God or to each other's, or to each other, we're seeking to be rightly related to ourselves. It's selfishness, not holiness. We are incapable of true holiness, but we are really good at selfishness. So our only hope is the true righteousness that's found in and through Jesus. I want to read you something else uh, that Tim Keller says about righteousness, uh, but I, I'll warn you, um, this is from a book he wrote back in 2011, um, and it's prophetic. It'll punch us in the gut the same way that Amos and Micah and Malachi have over the past three weeks. But I want to read this to you because I think this is where we see just how relevant our value of gospel fluency is to the situation that we find ourselves in today. He says this, he says, the righteous are by definition 
those who are willing to disadvantage themselves for the community, while the wicked are those who put their own economic, social, and personal needs ahead of the needs of the community. Biblical righteousness is inevitably social because it's all about relationships. And he goes on to say this. He says, when most modern people see the word righteousness in the Bible, they tend to think of it in terms of private morality, such as sexual chastity or diligence in prayer and Bible study. But in the Bible, tzedakah refers to a day-to-day living in which a person conducts all relationships in family and society with fairness, generosity, and equity. Paul writes in Philippians 2, he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Justice is when God's people do for others what God has done for them. Jesus disadvantaged himself for the sake of every man, woman, and child on earth. He left his throne behind. He left behind the power of the creator God so that he could be present on earth with us, living as a vehicle through which God's kingdom power would be on display. And that was good news for his disciples 2,000 years ago. It was good news for the broken and marginalized that he encountered, the ones he restored to health and to life, and it's good news for us today. But the truth is that good news was often experienced as bad news by those who had set themselves against the things of God's kingdom, preferring their own kingdom instead. And those people were typically the religious, and the elite. So look, I'm not going to point out the very practical ways in which this teaching can apply to your life tomorrow. I think that's pretty obvious. You should do that work on your own. But I will say this. Over the past few weeks, we have been talking about three wars. A war that we're waging against a literal virus that's turned our world upside down, right? We've talked about Another one, a social virus, this systemic racism and inequality, and it continues to tear our culture apart from the inside. But we are also fighting another virus, an internal war within ourselves, our own sinful nature, and it is destroying us from the inside out. It's that self-righteousness that tries to convince me that I am all that matters, that my personal desires are more important than yours, that my personal desires are more important than bringing other people into a right relationship with God and with others. That battle is waging within me when I speak as if my desire, what I want in this life, is more important than your present or your eternal life. When I begin to speak as if what's good for me matters more than what's good for others. And look, that is one way to look at the world, and a lot of people look at the world that way. Jesus just didn't. (laughs) He didn't. Jesus never spoke that way. Me first, 
is not something Jesus ever said. You can't take the words of Jesus and derive from it the message that we are called to put ourselves first. It's just not the way of the kingdom. Instead, he's inviting us to participate in that kingdom, to be proclaimers of it by what we say and what we do. And if we're going to do that, we have to put God first. Then we have to put others second. Our concern for ourself is last. Justice is found when God's people do for others what God has done for them. The gospel proclaims the truth that the most powerful and the most important being in existence literally put himself last. He put your concerns over his. He laid down his life so that you could have kingdom life now and forever. Y'all, he didn't have to do that. He's the creator God of the universe. He could have just wiped us all out and started over. He didn't have to do any of that. But he did. It was his choice. And it's the most perfect example of love. It is love on display. And it's good news for us. It's good news for all creation. It's good news for every person you will ever meet. Wherever Jesus went, the kingdom of God was invading this reality. The colors of God's kingdom followed him everywhere he went. The kingdom of God was present in the form of one particular man in one particular part of the world at one particular time in history. Man, if only he were still around today so that we could experience the kingdom in that way again. Sorry, a little earthly sarcasm. (laughs) He's still around, right? Just like Beth said, in you. If you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Spirit in you is Christ's very presence here on earth. The kingdom of God in you invading every broken place you go. Influencing you to love and care for every broken person you ever meet. You are now the particular place on the map at a particular time in history where the kingdom of God is invading this reality. That's our purpose. That's the point of the church. It's no longer about just one man, Jesus. Now it's his church, Jesus living in and through all of us. And he intended this. He told his disciples, it's going to be better for you and for the world when I leave because my spirit will be with you and now there will be a people all around the world who are transformed and who will live and move on the earth like I did. There will be a people who will be fluent in the gospel as we think and as we speak, fluent in the gospel as we interact with the world around us. So the tough question to ask yourself, question I have to ask myself, am I living as a point in time in a place on earth where the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man are colliding. I've shared with you the past couple weeks that I've been listening a lot, and I'll end with this. And part of that listening has been listening to myself. And if I'm honest with you, I have begun to notice that sometimes I say things that sound a lot like the kingdom of God, the things that Jesus proclaimed and taught. But sometimes 
I sound a lot like the broken kingdoms around me. Politics, philosophy, internet memes, whatever the message this world is proclaiming, I can hear it in my own voice. For me, oftentimes, it's a cynicism that is not of the kingdom of God. And it has no place here. So this is the difficult but really important so what for us. Affluent people think gospel first, not politics, not any modern worldview. And then they speak that gospel truth into the world. Over the past couple weeks, I've invited you to join me in listening to the voices around you. So I invite you again this week, listen to yourself. Listen to the words you say, to what you're posting on social media. Listen to yourself and ask, am I just parroting the nonsense of this world? Or am I proclaiming the kingdom that Jesus proclaimed and taught? Am I just another voice in an already noisy world? Or am I a point in time and a place on earth where the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man collide? I know a lot of people in this church, and I know that that intersection is evident in many of your lives. Many of you have those kingdom colors following you everywhere we go. So my prayer is that we would be a church full of those kingdom intersections, a church that is painting this town with the colors of God, like Beth says, a people who don't get caught up in parroting the nonsense that's spread throughout the world around us, but instead a people who are fluent in the gospel, And not only fluent, but a people who flaunt it everywhere we go, every day of the week, to every person we meet. Y'all, it's good news. It's a gift. Don't be afraid to share it. Let's pray. Father God, if anything that was just said is true or can come to pass in this world, it's only because of you and your spirit. It's not in our own power to do any of this. It is not our holiness, it is not our righteousness, it is not our goodness that we are to proclaim to the world, it's simply yours. So God, protect us from ever becoming those whitewashed tombs Protect us from ever becoming a people who would practice that fake moral righteousness and help us to be a people who know the gospel so, so thoroughly that it just comes out as we live and move in this world in the way that we speak and in the way that we treat others. God, we trust you to empower us to do that. Now give us the courage and the strength to let that happen. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at www.fpc-kingwood.org. Our services are available on our website. You can also follow us on Facebook and find us on Instagram at fpc underscore kingwood. We'll see you next time.